You may remember from last week that the, uh, the Psalm 119 is the longest book in the Bible. And so I have decided to break it up into four different portions. And uh, you'll also remember that there are stanzas that are listed here. Uh, if you're uh, keen on that and your Bible translation has it, it has the Hebrew letters. I think I said Greek last week. It should have been Hebrew. It's the Hebrew letters of the alphabet that mark each of those stanzas off. So today I'm going to read a second, second section of that, so verses 41 through 88. And I'll be preaching from the stanza 49 through 56. Please listen as I read God's word. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember the word to your servants, upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all who fear you and those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. 
The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word. I know, Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have have afflicted me. Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to your word to your servant. Let your tender mercies come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood. But I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, When will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? Proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. All your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. They almost made an end of me on earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. I grew up singing the Psalms. They were part of my home and part of my church. They were part of my life and part of all aspects of my life. There are a couple of instances that I've shared in the past. I'd like to share a couple of others where the Psalms were a part of a time of trouble. I've learned much from my parents and one of those things is a love for the Psalms a love for God's word and its use in times of affliction. When my father had a a kidney failure and transplant from a genetic disease, uh, he had a a transplant uh, that um, it was a difficult surgery. Uh, There were times in which that, uh, that the recovery seemed to be slow and painful. And I remember visiting him, and before he knew that uh, I was in the room, I remember hearing him singing the psalms in the midst of his affliction. I may have to tell you later about my mom. I I think I can. (laughs) As her mind deteriorates, she clings to the Psalms and can still sing them in the midst of her affliction. Affliction is part of our lives. 
I chose this portion of Psalm 119 because of the reality of the affliction that we go through. There are some churches today that suggest, more than suggest, they, they teach that the Christian life is a life that is, is full of prosperity, happiness, free from pain. But that's not the truth, is it? All of life, and yes, even the life of a Christian will still go through a variety of difficulties and a variety of pains. And Psalm 119 is very clear about the reality of affliction. I read a portion of Psalm 119. And you can go back and read the portion that I selected for today, and you'll notice how often David reflects on the troubles that he has gone through. And so today, I want to preach from verses 49 through 46 on this subject. Look to God's word to give you comfort in your affliction. Look to God's word to give you comfort in your affliction. I'm going to begin with the reality of affliction. As I said, there are many modern churches that I think pervert Christianity and pervert the, the message of Scripture and say that there is, there is no trouble for a Christian. But that just isn't true. We do go through sorrow and affliction in our life. And the truth is that God has not promised to, to take you out of trouble or to preserve you from every affliction. But he has promised to be with you in your affliction. David gives voice to this reality and the agonizing emotions that come when you experience these types of trouble. For example, verse 49 begins by appealing to God that he would remember his word, that he would remember his promise. And isn't that just such an honest human response when we go through trouble? I think probably all of us have sometime in our life, in our affliction, said, God, why is this happening? Have you forgotten me? Have you neglected your promises? Am I forgotten and cast off? You see, there's this weight of trouble that we go through, and then our adversary, Satan, uses the occasion to throw darts of doubt and of anxiety at us. So that in the midst of that affliction, the weight of that is even magnified by the worry that maybe God has forgotten to take care of us, or God has left off his love for us. And so we cry out, God, remember, remember me, remember your word, remember your promises. It's an expression of the affliction that we go through. Or notice how David suffers derision and jeering from the world. You can see that in verse 51. 
And perhaps you've gone through this as well. You may have family members who have ridiculed you from your, because of your faith. You've been converted and yet close loved ones are unconverted and they can't understand exactly what this is all about and so they laugh at you. Speaking of laughter, students in today's universities and in schools are often jeered at and laughed at because of the stance and the faith being lived out uh, that is very contrary to the, the morality of this world. Just think of a stance on purity, a stance on, on understanding that God is the author of all things, that he has created the world. You'll face laughter. Or maybe you've had work associates that when you are sick, they come in and say to you, where's your God now? There's derision and jeering that takes place. Then because of this, David voices an indignation at the state of the world. Look at verse 53. It's an honest complaint here as he speaks about how, how burdened he is by the way in which the world is walking away from God. And this was, this was Israel, God's covenanted people. And that burden and indignation for that way of the wicked comes through. And with David, we can express a similar consternation over the open depravity of our culture. We can come to realize, as verse 54 says, that we are only pilgrims in this world. We are in it, but not of it can grieve over a sense that the dark is rising. And speaking of dark, verse 55 says, I remember your name in the night. And poetically, night is often used as a symbol for things that are wicked, things that are, are times that are lonely, or aspects of your life that are just downright scary. In the night, our minds can race and take us down into pits of despair. The troubles of the day look even bigger at night, big as mountains, big as monsters. We might kind of laugh at that, but children especially may be worried at night because of fears that during the day don't seem to get any traction. Psalm 119 teaches the reality of affliction, even for you as a Christian. But fortunately, God uses his word to comfort you in your affliction. So let's move secondly to that, the comfort that God gives in affliction. I'm going to take just a very simple approach to considering this affliction by just going verse by verse through this section so that, so that you would uh, come to meditate on and understand the comfort that God ministers to you through his word. I'm going to draw attention especially to the promises of the written word, but begin to indicate some of the ways that they lead us to Jesus Christ. And I'll come more blatantly to him in a moment. Let's look at verse 49. I've already mentioned that we cry out to God, remember your word. We do cry out asking for this. And this is especially comforting because, because God has bound himself 
by promises, by oaths, to be our God and to be our Savior. He has, he has, he has given his word to do this. This is, a, this is not like the word that we might give to one another in these days where we forget or break our word or go, go back on our, our promises. No, God is sworn by himself. God who cannot lie has given his promises regarding that work of salvation especially. I like the way that the book of Hebrews makes this point. Hebrews chapter 8, the author says, now this is the main point of the things that, uh, that we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated the, at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. And then the chapter goes on to say that God did this, entering into a covenant a binding promise. We have such a high priest in Jesus Christ. We have such a mediator by an unbreakable promise. He has promised to be our redeemer. So just pause, and, and like I've been doing with poetry, I want that to sink in. I want you to marinate, so to speak, in the truth of that. Remember that in the midst of your affliction, that the enemy throws darts of doubt and anxiety at you. Here is the comfort. Here is where you can turn. You can turn and pray that the Lord would remember his word. That very honest cry to the Lord, Lord, remember me. Remember your promises. And then turn to those promises that you find in Scripture. These are the promises upon which we have hope. Let's go on to, uh, uh, excuse me, I want to give you a little tag for each of these, these sections. So put the word remember by verse 49. And then by verse 50, put the word quicken. By that, I don't mean the accounting program uh, uh, that we use today to balance our checkbooks. I have in mind the old-fashioned meaning of giving life. Uh, that's the way uh, some of the older translations give this verse, that uh, this is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has quickened me. Your word has given life. That's what quicken means. God's word gives us life. And it reminds us of the sovereignty of God in salvation. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God sent his son to redeem us, to bring us to life. When our hearts were cold as stone, the Holy Spirit regenerated us. The dead heart becomes alive by the work of Jesus Christ. And so by the gift of of faith we believe. And this is true even in the midst of affliction. We can turn to Christ and know that, that he is with us there, that he has given life even in the midst of that affliction. And we believe because he has breathed faith into us. 
reminded me a, a little bit of different times that I've had opportunities to go to campgrounds or hiking uh, higher up in altitude, higher up into the mountains. And maybe you know the experience of what that feels like. The higher you go and the steeper it is, the less oxygen there is in the atmosphere around you. Remember what that feels like physically? You begin to pant, feeling like you can't quite catch your breath. And even when you stop, it feels like, like you're overwhelmed by the lack of oxygen. It's a campground in, in Colorado where I, I would lose my breath just turning over bed in night, at night, and I, I would be gasping. That feeling of panting is kind of what uh, this brings to mind, that there's this need of oxygen. Those who, who climb in the really high altitudes will often carry oxygen with them in tanks. And they put the mask on so that they can breathe. It gives life. It breathes life into their body. Well, in a very similar way, God's word does that. It breathes life into us. This is God's purpose for us, that we breathe deeply from God's word and come to it desperate for that life-giving oxygen, so to speak. And you can nurture that attitude. Recognize those times when you feel like you're panting, because of the affliction that you're under. And in those moments, crave and turn to God's word to find the comforting promises that are there. The next verses I'm going to group together, 51 through 53, all hang together, and I'll put the tag of perseverance on these verses. And bringing them together, the proud have have me in great derision, and indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. But I do not turn aside from your law. I remember your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself with them. Matthew Henry captures the sense here. David, in talking about the reality of, of affliction, has this idea that as Matthew Henry says, that, that the enemy has jeered me because of my faith, but he has not jeered me out of my faith. The affliction comes and the enemy uses it to try to persuade you to turn away. What has God done for you lately? There's some of the doubt and the anxiety, those darts that the Satan that Satan uses. But because of God's faithfulness to us and the instrument of the use of his word, we can persevere in faith, even in the midst of affliction. We may be jeered because of faith, but not jeered out of faith. It's as if uh, David would say, they have done all they could to make me quit it for shame but none of these things have moved me. This is grace at work, is it not? This is Christ at work, ultimately. For the world jeered at Jesus, the Son of God. 
They hurled insults at him throughout his life, and even as he offered himself on the cross as a savior for sinner and invited people to come to him, they still mocked him and hurled insults at him. They persecuted him and they crucified him. And in this way, through obedience and through suffering, Jesus became a merciful high priest for us. Think again of what Hebrews says. Therefore, in all these things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. That means that in the midst of whatever affliction that you are are suffering, you can persevere, you can hold fast to obedience because Christ has laid hold of you. And since he has laid hold of you, you can, uh, in the midst of those afflictions, turn to him and cry out to him, the word incarnate, and turn to that written word to find comfort meditating on his promises. And note well how in verse 53 that David says that he uses these promises, even the promises from of old, to comfort myself in the midst of affliction. There's a deliberate action here. Not just carried away by the the terrible thing that you're under, You don't uh, wallow in self-pity. You are mindful in the midst of that affliction and use it as an opportunity to persevere. Some of the later verses that I read say, uh, David says, it was good for me to be afflicted because then I remembered your word. I would urge you to persevere in a similar way in the midst of your affliction, to say it's good for me to be here. As hard as that is to say, it's good for me to be here because Christ has me here. And I will comfort myself in his word, seeking his comfort through them. Verse 54, the tag for this, this verse is singing. It says, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I I, I love the imagery that is brought up here. There are lots of of stories, true and fiction, of of people as they're traveling that they sing. Our family loved to read the Laura Ingalls Wilder books. You ever notice that? And on the cold nights that Pa often gets out his fiddle and he sings and, and they join in. There's, there's a sense of community and joining together that, that singing is part of a people's expression. And, and some sense of, of an expression of, of the travel of this life. Singing. God has made us musical people and 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 we sing and in this case david identifies the, the singing of his word as part of that comfort in this pilgrim life this world isn't our home 
We have a heavenly destination. But right now, you are here. We, we have a heavenly home, but, but you are here. And, and there is affliction that you go through. And on this pilgrim journey, God has given us songs to sing. And we lift up our voices together, and, and we sing those as, as part of the remembering of that heavenly home. And this is where, where that lesson I've learned from my parents comes through, where those touching words of the Psalms play such a role in our lives that carry us along on a pilgrim journey. In verse 55, the tag here is naming. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. I remembered earlier, I mentioned earlier how the night can be a time of fear and anxiety. I know that I've had nights where it's hard to go to sleep because my, my mind is just racing. I can't set aside what has happened that day. Not only what has happened that day, but then I begin to make these wild connections in my mind that go down uh, paths that are not even a reality, but they might be. And my fears start connecting all of these things. And in the night, that uh, I, I remember those things. I remember how I lost my temper with my family, how I became angry. My mind races because I'm afraid of what tomorrow holds because of whatever that meeting is that I'm anxious about. Well, what was David's remedy and what's your remedy? In this case, David turns his mind away from those things that which were anxious, and he turns his mind to the Lord, and particularly says he thinks on the name of the Lord. And there's, there's something about knowing a person's name, knowing a, a thing's name and identifying it that has, uh, it has reason, it, it, it structures and, and unites a relationship when you call someone by their name. And so in the midst of your anxiety, uh, you can sing, or in this verse, you could just think of the names of God. Think of the name of the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Consider what it means that our God is a strong tower and a rock of defense that he's our blessed shepherd, that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, that the promised Holy Spirit is called literally the comforter. Just meditate on the names of God in the midst of the night of your afflictions. Turn your mind away from those anxieties and, and think on the name of your Savior. And finally, verse 56, which is really a summary of this stanza. I'll give the tag of, of to possess it or to own it. 
this has become mine because I kept your precepts. This has become mine. Having spoken honestly about the trouble of this life, David in this stanza has found comfort in God's word. He has listened to the promises. He has reminded himself that God has covenanted and given his word about our redemption. He has thought and meditated on on the witness that, that scripture bears towards God's faithfulness and the longing that David can, can sense of that Messiah that is still on the horizon for him, and yet he can see him there. And he, he, he says, this is what you've promised. This for me. He owns those promises, so to speak. And he says that it's testified because of the keeping of his precepts. Now remember that Psalm 119 doesn't teach any form of salvation by works. Your heart must be changed if you are to obey God. But when your heart is changed, God enables you to hear that word and and two, follow after your, your Redeemer. To follow close beside Jesus Christ. Because out of love, he has redeemed you. And out of love, you, you want to be near him. And out of love, you want to hear his word and obey it. And as you go along the way, the Lord cleanses you of unrighteousness. He prunes you like a tree that is fruitful, so that you would be more fruitful. This is what that, uh, that eminent relationship is with Jesus and his word and you, as you are owned by him, and you, by faith, take possession of those promises. You lay hold of him as he has laid hold of you. Well, all throughout these verses, I've been hinting at Jesus Christ. I want to close by saying, look to the word to find comfort in affliction. I use that double meaning that I used last week. I've really uh, emphasized the written word up to this point, but let me come back now to the word incarnate. We do go through sorrow and affliction in this life. And a related corollary to the misconception that I mentioned, the conception that the Christian life will be happy and, and, and prosperous all your days, there's a related corollary. And that is that if you're good enough, you won't suffer. Do you see where that goes? Well, what's the conclusion you have to draw if you are suffering? Well, you're not good enough. That's a devastating conclusion to a theology that is twisted. We do suffer, and we are still tempted, and we still sin. But if you approach the Christian life from a perspective of being good or trying harder, 
you will remain burdened with that nagging fear that God is displeased with you because you do still sin. And I still sin. And because you do still suffer affliction. But Psalm 119 teaches you that God comforts you in affliction by his word, which leads us inevitably to to Jesus. Think back to the New Testament passage that I chose today of Matthew chapter 11. It begins by Jesus telling of the purpose of his coming. I came to reveal the Father to you. There's the word. Uh, there's the purpose of the word is to reveal to us. And the Son of God, the word incarnate, does that revealing perfectly. And then he immediately goes into this profound invitation. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is life, is light. The truth is that the Christian life is full of sorrow and labor. But Jesus promises rest. Or in the language of Psalm 119, he promises to comfort you in your affliction. And he invites you in to the rest that belongs to him. How do you receive this rest? Well, it's by faith. It's by faith in Christ, by the wording of Jesus, by taking his yoke upon you. For he is gentle and and lowly in heart. It's been noted by a recent author that this is the only place where Jesus says, this is what my heart is. I'm gentle and lowly. He doesn't speak about being an overlord. He doesn't speak about... His, uh, his sovereignty, or he doesn't speak about uh, all the other things that could be said. He says, I'm, I'm gentle and lowly, and you will find rest in me. And that's the profound invitation that I'll leave with you today, that God comforts you through his word. Through the word written promises that are are given to us, but particularly through the word incarnate. This is why he came. He came to save sinners. So are you panting under affliction? Are you gasping, going through a a sorrow so heavy that you can't catch your breath? I invite you to go to the life-giving word of God. The word written and the word incarnate, for he is gentle and lowly. He will give you rest for your soul. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way that you use your written words 
to help us remember what you have done, the promises that you have made, the oath that you have bound yourself to, the coming of our Redeemer to save us from our sins. Help us to remember that word incarnate, who has come to reveal you uh, reveal the Father to us so that we may know that there is a way of life and that there is indeed rest and comfort in the midst of our afflictions. And Lord, for all of us today, I pray that we would come to Christ, that uh, we would rest in him by faith, that we would find that in you we have peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. close by singing the H selection of Psalm 119. Psalm 119, selection H. Let's stand to sing to the Lord. <clears throat> 